morning, all. I'm glad to be with you here this morning. That was before we get started, as we have a lesson this morning on the power of true worship. I want you to read with me out loud John 4.24. Don't worry, it'll be on the screen. Um, we're going to read this together. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Amen. Isaiah chapter 6 is where we'll be this morning. Isaiah chapter 6. What we see is that Isaiah here in chapter 6 saw and he spoke with God. Something that we don't get to do today. Not in this sense. I want you to try to imagine as it was read in Isaiah 6. You standing right there, right beside Isaiah. You seeing and hearing and experiencing the same things that he did and what was going on in heaven. I ask you, as it was read by Jaden, can you imagine that Isaiah's life was changed after this, after seeing and hearing and experiencing what he did? Here we see that Isaiah is witnessing all these heavenly beings and seeing these heavenly beings worship God. He's seeing and feeling and experiencing the power of true worship. I think that if we were there, that our lives would be changed as well. And it is my hope, family, that after this lesson today, that we leave here where our lives changed as well. As we delve into these eight verses here in chapter six, I want to show you some things that should help you realize just what true worship looks like. Isaiah was able to peer into heaven to see what power there is in worshiping the great I am. Now, it was powerful, number one, because it revealed the majesty of God. As we read there, we see that it, it, this vision happened during the year that King Uzziah died. Now, if you're not familiar with King Uzziah, you have to read Second Chronicles chapter 26. And you will see that Uzziah was a powerful king who started his reign when he was age 16. He reigned for 52 years. He was a king that fortified uh, Jerusalem, made it strong. He made machines that could shoot arrows from the towers that he had fortified. This is, this is important because other countries couldn't do that. And it kept Jerusalem strong. He had great prestige. He was, he was very strong. He did wonderful things because God was with him until he got strong, till he became arrogant. See, he, he allowed all his power and all the things that he could do, all the freedom he had to go to his head because he was unfaithful to the Lord. He lost his way. And he began to worship God the way he wanted to, the way he thought was best. 
he went into the temple to burn incense, a duty that was left only to the priests, the sons of Aaron. And in fact, as you read chapter 26 and there in Chronicles, uh, Second Chronicles, you will find that 80 priests, to be exact, came in and said, get out of here. You don't deserve to be in here. This is not your duty. It's not your right. But I'm the king. I can do what I want to do. I'm, it's, it's my right to do what I want to do. That's what be, be his thinking. We hear some of those things today. It's my right. Because of his arrogance, God struck him with leprosy and he was a leper until he died. Now these events again in Isaiah chapter six happened during the year that this king died. Uzziah's vain and uh, willful worship is now contrasted in what we read here in Isaiah chapter 6. When Isaiah sees true worship, he sees God sitting on the throne, the king with all authority. You recognize that, don't you, when you walk into a room and someone that has the authority, you no one has to question it. Because he or she is there, and you recognize it. We see that God is high and lifted up. We need to understand that God is not on some equal plane with mankind, though we may go about worshiping him and serving him as if he were. He's not on a throne that is eye to eye with man. God is majestic. He has all authority. Sometimes we need to be reminded of that. As we look here in Isaiah 6, we also find that God's presence fills the temple. We see that his train filled the temple. It, it wasn't a train on, on, the, on his robe, that is, that was just sitting on the side of him, you know, as he's sitting on the throne. Or it was flowing down um, some steps. Um, from the throne, as it were, in this vision. No, the glory of his majesty fills the whole room. Family, when we worship God, we should not think that God is sitting somewhere off in the corner watching what's going on. When we truly worship God, we need to understand that he is sitting on his throne. He is high and lifted up, and he fills the whole place where we are. As we keep on reading, we see that Isaiah sees these uh, seraphim and and they're saying, holy, holy, holy uh, is the Lord of hosts. We see that God is separate. He's different. They're crying out, holy, 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 the Lord of hosts. They're saying that God is not just holy, but holy, holy, Holy. He is set apart. He's separate. He's not like anything or anything else in this universe. Though this world and sometimes we as Christians think he is. He is not a God among other gods. He is the God. The only one. The authority sitting on his throne high and above, lifted up, filling up the temple. The Holy One. 
30 something times in Isaiah, uh, we see that God is described as the Holy One. He is above all these creatures. And these creatures are exclaiming that He is holy, holy, holy. He is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. I, I, I truly want you all to understand the presence of God. You know, the Bible teaches us that God is omnis, om, omniscient. So I was going to have a problem saying that today. Omniscient. God is all-knowing. God is omnipotent. That means he is all-powerful. He has no limits. You know, man puts limits on God. We talked about that during our last Devo, a men's Devo, that sometimes we put limits on God by saying, or maybe I said it on Wednesday night, that uh, God can't forgive me because I've sinned so much. God has no limits, and we shouldn't be putting limits on him. He's all-powerful. The Bible also teaches us that God is omnipresent, that God is everywhere at all times. The whole earth is full of his glory. The whole earth. So we need to think about that when we say, well, when we're in the presence of God, God is everywhere at all times. And we need to be aware of that, not just when we come here into the building. And as we keep on reading, the presence and the glory and the, the majesty of God has everything shaken. We see there that the foundations of the thresholds in verse 4 shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. If we really want to understand the powerful presence of God here in verse 4, we see that during this perfect worship scene, Isaiah sees and feels and experiences the majesty of God. If we really want to worship God and understand the true power of it, we have to realize that true worship occurs in the presence of God. Remember where his presence is. He's everywhere at all times. When we read this in Isaiah says, we, do, we shouldn't get the understanding that worship is happening, you know, in another chamber of heaven if, if that existed. And that God couldn't, you know, he couldn't be in the same room. He, had, he didn't want anything to do with these le- lesser creatures that is not the case. It's happening right there at the throne of God, in the presence of God. To understand true worship, we will understand that God's majesty is not just the focus of worship today. It should be our focus, but it shouldn't be the only thing. When we understand that he is holy, that he is present where we are, that the whole earth is full of his glory, it will call it will also be the cause of worship today for us see we we wouldn't have to be commanded to worship god if we focused on him and understood that he is the cause of worship today we will not have to try to dress worship up in a way that is appealing or entertaining for any of us to worship him the elders and the preachers will not have to try and convince any of us to worship. 
You will not have to go to worship. We'll be like these creatures in heaven who cannot help but say, holy, 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 you are God and I want to worship you. Nothing is going to stand in my way to worshiping my God. That's the power of true worship. The power of true worship also reveals the almighty majesty of God. Look at Isaiah's response. Isaiah's response creates awareness just by being in the presence of God, of his own sinfulness in verse 5. Like Isaiah, we live in a sinful world. We live in such a permissive age, anything can go. We become soft on sin. We have the tendency to excuse sin or rationalize it. We make excuses for our sins. We, we even change sin into something justifiable, uh, shifting blame. We can look into to the Bible and see great examples of that, of shifting blame, making excuses for it. In Genesis, Adam blames Eve. Eve blames the serpent. We, we see that Aaron, when, when Moses is coming off the mountain with the, the commandments in his hands and the tablets in his hands, and, and Moses throws them down and breaks them because he, he sees this calf, this golden calf, and the Israelites are worshiping it and dancing around it and fornicating and having parties and, and saying that this is our God. When questioned about it, Aaron says, oh, it was the people. They put the gold in, and then this out came this calf. We become like King Saul, who when God told him, and what we read in Samuel, First uh, Samuel chapter 15, to go and utterly destroy all these people. When the prophet comes and hears the, the sheep and sees still some, the king still alive, and he questions Saul. Saul blames somebody else. He blames the people. Isaiah is aware of his sinfulness because of being in the presence of God. Do we see that he's blaming anyone else when we read this in chapter 6? Does he make excuses? Does he justify his sins? Woe is me, he says. He exclaims. See, the reason why this, this is important for us to get this it's because in the previous chapter, Isaiah is laying woes on everybody else, saying, woe is you and woe is you because you've been messing up. We do that, don't we? Sometimes, whether you want to say you do or not, we do that. We point the fingers. But here in chapter 6, Isaiah is in the presence of God. And when he saw God, he saw himself and he saw his sin. And he said, woe is me, I'm undone. He felt doomed and destroyed because of his sin. He knew he had unclean lips. He knew that he was unfit to be in God's presence, not worthy to be there. He understood that. How much do we recognize our own sinfulness when we come before the presence of the Lord? Again, remember where his presence is. Sometimes we come to worship and say, well, I'm going to give my God all my uh, my all today. 
Or God is going to be glad that I showed up today. He's, he's going to be glad that I'm, I'm there. These should not be our thoughts. Not at all. God's holiness ought to make us aware of sin, our sins, and its power to separate us from God. That's the power of true worship. But the power of true worship, that not only makes us aware of our sins, it gives us and, uh, and provides us an opportunity for cleansing, as we read in verses 6 through 7. See, just being aware of my sins is not the same as being cleansed from sin. And I hope you understand where I'm getting at. Just because I know that I have sin or that I am a sinner is not the same as being cleansed from them. Isaiah had his sin taken away. They were purged. The sin that has separated you from God has been taken away if you are in Christ. If you are in Christ, you no longer have those sins. If you have been baptized into Christ, God has made you worthy. This allows you to be worthy to stand before him and worship. See, being aware of your sins keeps you from worshiping God sometimes. I, I mentioned that's what I mentioned on Wednesday night. I can't walk into the building. I, it might fall on me. God can't forgive me because I've sinned so much. You keep having those thoughts, you will never be cleansed. But in Christ, you have forgiveness of sins. In Christ, you are made worthy to worship the Lord, to be in his presence. We should enter worship without the guilt, shame, and separation of our own sin. Be aware of our sins. We need to understand that sin separates us from God, which makes us want to worship him more. At least it should. Worship should be a time of confession. I'm undone, unclean unworthy cleansing and purification is what we also should find in true worship of our lord first john 1 9 says if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness isaiah's response was similar to what we see in luke chapter 5 verses 1 through 8 which is not on the screen but in verse 8 well, we see the response of Peter to Jesus. You see, Jesus was being pressed against the crowd, and, and he still wanted to speak to them, but he needed to move into a different area. So he got on a boat, and Peter was on the boat. And he asked Peter to push out from the shore some so that he can speak to the people. And while he pushed out from the shore, he tells Peter, hey, drop your net on the side into the deep so you can catch some more fish or catch some fish. And Peter was like, We've been fishing all night, and we haven't caught anything. But at your word, we'll put it down there. Not only did they catch fish, their nets started to break. He had to call some more people over and say, come and help us. And when they got back on shore, Peter, like Isaiah, saw himself in the presence of the Lord. Saw and recognized his sinfulness and said, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You do that by cleansing your, your hands and purifying your hearts so that you can draw closer to the Lord. James 4, 8. When we 
are truly worshiping God, when we come before him, we will find comfort and joy in the forgiveness that he offers. Hebrews 10, 22. We will glorify him who cleanses us. And he is the one that makes us fit for worship. Revelations 1, 4 through 6 and chapter 5, 9 through 14. The power of true worship allows us to proclaim the voice of the Lord. As we see there in verse 8. Like Isaiah, we need to understand that worship must not only focus on God, but also taking the time to listen to him. See, sometimes we worship and we sing and we praise. We don't take the time to listen to the Lord. These creatures were not just saying, holy, holy, holy. There wasn't just noise in heaven. Isaiah shows us that worship should be a time to listen to the Lord. And he speaks to us through the reading and the preaching of his word. The time where we hear scripture read, read, excuse me, or a time that we hear scripture being preached should not be a time of passiveness. Open your Bibles. We should be active in worship. Not just letting the words come in one ear and out the other. Open your Bibles. God's words should be etched in our hearts. You can't do that if we're not listening to him. Open your Bibles. You see, when we hear God's voice, we need to understand that when we read the scripture and we hear it being taught, someone gives us and speaks a good word and we say, oh, that sounded good. That made me feel good. That shouldn't be the only thing that comes out of that. That was good. A good commercial on TV sounds good, too. Shouldn't be making you feel the same way. See, God's word is intended to challenge us to action. Whom shall I send? Who will go before us? There is a challenge to us from the word of God every time it's read. Every time. There's a challenge to it when it is preached to us to respond to God's word. Isaiah heard this challenge and he could not help but respond. See, worship that is directed to God as we have been trying to do this morning should stir the hearts of us, God's people, to be more than just hearers. James 1, 21 through 27 reminds us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. See, the power of true worship not is not just that we hear or we're here to hear God's voice. Not just here to focus on him. Not, we need to write it on our hearts, etch it on our hearts. Accept the challenge or the challenges that the word provides to us and offers to us. And then we need to be ready to respond. We also need to prepare to serve our Lord. True worship prepares Christians for service. Verse 8 shows us that. See, Isaiah heard the challenge from God. He's there and and having this vision and seeing worship going on and, and he sees God's majesty and he wants to serve. He senses his own unworthiness and he still wants to serve. He knows that now I'm cleansed from my sin. I want to serve. 
He hears the voice of the Lord. And he wants to serve. Thus, when an opportunity presented itself, he eagerly replied, Here am I. Send me. God is looking for someone to do his work, to do his will. Are you the one? Am I the one? Will I go? Was Isaiah just an observer like some of us are? Just sitting around waiting? I'm not sure what to do yet, so I'll just sit back. Did Isaiah lead the opportunity to go as asked by God to someone else? I don't know who else was there. I don't know who else God invited. But Isaiah wanted to be first. Here I am, send me. I'm here, send me. I'll go. He didn't wait for someone else to speak up. My question to you is that do you sit back and observe and let, and let others do because, well, if that needs to be done, whatever that is, she'll go do it. I'll just sit back here because, because he'll volunteer. He'll, he'll do it. I, I, we, uh, we will, I don't know. I, I won't have to do it if somebody else does it. Stop waiting for someone else to be like Isaiah when challenged from the word of God and say, here am I. I will do it. Let us allow worship to prepare us to serve God. See, we get a lot out of worship if we, if we think about it. Worshiping the Almighty, Isaiah, we see, didn't, never turned back when he was worshiping God and seeing how true worship was. When we worship the Almighty, it should help us to recommit ourselves to God. It should inspire us to serve him. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are his workmanship. We were made, we were created for this. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It should renew our commitment to serve. Romans 12.1 and 2 tells us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Here am I, Lord, use me. You've made me worthy to serve you. Through your son, Jesus Christ, I will make no excuses. Here am I. Let me do it. I'll go because you have prepared me. You have created me for this good work. So I'm going to present my body as a living, living sacrifice to you. True worship should motivate us to worship and serve more. But motivation seems to be our problem right now. Even today, hard times get us into a point where it's hard to get motivated. Sometimes we have a hard time allowing ourselves to be motivated, motivated. Even sometimes we put our guard up and do not allow others to motivate us, but especially God. There is power in true worship to inspire to encourage, and to motivate. We can only know the power of true worship when we actually worship. See, it'd be great if the whole building was full right now and we we had to put some people in the other rooms because we have to be separated. But you know what? We can have this entire building full and none of us really be worshiping God. Because it starts here in our hearts. We can only know the power of true worship 
when we give ourselves in true worship, when we give more, I'm not talking about money, hold back nothing, give your all, give all that you have to God in worship. Because when we do that, we won't be worried about the minimums, those those things that we have to get done, make sure it happens just right. So then that's what worship is. We're not worrying about how many verses of the songs are being led. We're not worried about how long the prayer or how many prayers are being led. We're not sitting thinking, that's a lot of scripture that's being read right now. We're not worried about time limits either. How long the preacher preaches? I'm preaching this morning, so I can probably say that. But sometimes, sometimes we wonder, well, how long is he going to keep on going? We often say Paul preached until midnight. No, Paul stopped at midnight to go raise that man off the ground and came back and kept on preaching. You read the rest of the verse there. In Acts 20 and 7 and, and 8 He kept on going because there was something that needed to be said from God's word. And the people needed to hear it. What is the most important thing? What's the most important thing that is more important on the Lord's Day? Is it golfing? Is it going to Target? Is it you fill in the blank? Nothing is more important on the Lord's Day than worshiping the Lord. I have to go to worship. I don't want somebody calling me trying to figure out where I'm at. So I'll have to show up there. That way they see me. Uh, Or you might ask, hey, brother, did you get anything out of the lesson today? I sure didn't. What did you put into worship? Are you waiting on me to help to make you worship better? Shouldn't be that way. I tell you, you should be worn out um, from worship. Worship takes effort. Lots of effort. When you take that Sunday morning nap, that Sunday afternoon nap, it'll be even more worth it because you put so much into it to worshiping God. When we truly worship God, we will actually want more. We're going to want more. We're going to want more worship and more songs and more prayers. How many times during Monday you're thinking, today has just been a hard day. And then someone texts you or gives you a call or you're listening to some acapella uh, songs or something like you pull it up on your phone. And it makes you feel better because you you feel like you're closer to God through your brothers and sisters in Christ. It makes you want more. You should want to give more. Again, I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about ourselves. Give ourselves more to the Lord, especially through worship. You know what the result will be? We will worship more. We will recognize the power that worshiping God has. Has great power. We'll grow more. How many times do you eat a day? How many times do you eat during the week? If you stopped eating and drinking, you would die. Spiritually, you would too. If you don't stay in his word and if you don't worship him properly and truly we may get more but that should not be our motivation though 
When I say get more, maybe the blessings may come more. That shouldn't be our motivation. We should want to worship God because he is and has always been and will always be. Then we will be more like Isaiah, wanting to serve more. True worship can change our lives. You'll say, I cannot wait to worship the Lord and to be with my brothers and sisters in Christ. To be there with the saints, offering praise to God. I don't know where else I, I would be. I've been deployed with the military before, and I, I can remember distinct, distinctly being on a ship with my brethren in the Navy. Been off somewhere where we couldn't see land. We couldn't, there was, there was nothing we could do about getting together with brothers and sisters in Christ because there were none on the ship with me. Save one, but we worked on different ship, ship, uh, shifts. And I missed so much being with my brothers and sisters in Christ. But most importantly, on Sunday, to worship with my brothers and sisters and praising God. I know Ladies, especially y'all mess with us husbands, us men, about when we get sick, we are just like little babies. I, I know. But we're also hard-headed because we, we won't go see the doctor. We just, we'll just get through it, especially on Sunday because I just don't want to miss. I don't want to get anybody else sick either, but I don't want to miss being with my brothers and sisters in Christ, worshiping God because there's great power do y'all realize that we are different than the rest of the world? Do you realize that we belong to God, that he sees us because he has made us worthy? When you're in a restaurant and you pray over your food, don't you realize that that food is different than the food that maybe somebody else is eating? Because God is blessing that food? Because you are his child? Is that to say that God doesn't bless other food? No, that's not what I'm saying. Please don't take that from it. What I'm saying is that we are different. Because if we were not different, we would not be here right now. We would not be studying God's word, trying to figure out, well, how can I worship him more? How can I worship him better? Well, I'm going to tell you right now, the pressure to worship God is not upon God. The pressure to worship God is not upon the men, the boys and the men that lead us in worship. The pressure is not on the preacher. It's, the pressure is not on the elders, the shepherds of this congregation. The pressure to truly worship God is on me. It's on you. You have to decide in your heart that you're going to worship the Lord, truly. It's going to be you standing in front of him for you, not me for you. It is your soul that you need to make sure you care for. We will help. All of us should help each other. All of us should encourage each other. The, the shepherds do have a responsibility to care for the souls of this congregation and in the souls of the church. But you have to decide. Well, I'm going to worship the Lord truly. I'm not going to make excuses. You have to allow true worship to change you. This is not just another place to be during the week. Just another place 
well, I have to be at the building. Let me check it off. Okay, on my phone, it tells me I need to be there. This is not just another uh, social experiment. This is not just another commandment that God wanted to have in the New Testament for us. This, what we do today, and worshiping God, it gives us the opportunity to give ourselves truly to the Lord. But you haven't given yourself truly to, to the Lord, it doesn't matter what you do or what you call worshiping. God does not recognize it. We, we read, or I explained to you what is in Second uh, Chronicles about King Uzziah, who just, oh, I'm, I'm going to do it the way I want to. God doesn't accept that. And I will tell you, he's not going to accept you any kind of way. There's only one way to God. And that's through Jesus, his son. And I tell you, if you're sitting here today or you're online and you think, but I have given my life to God. I have told him to enter into my heart. You don't tell God anything. God tells you how you can come before him. How can you worship him truly if you're not a member of the Lord's church? Lord's body, the church of Christ, because it is his church. You need to surrender your life today to God. You need to believe Jesus is the son of God. Repent of your sins and, and confess your faith in Jesus. Me immerse in the water. See, if I can just take a moment. When we're talking about immersion, we're talking about baptism. We're not talking about a sprinkling or a pouring. When the translators put baptism in here, they transliterate it and just were almost letter for letter. What it, what it truly means in the original language is to be immersed fully in water. Just as Christ was fully immersed in the ground. When you, when someone is buried, do we sprinkle a little bit of dirt on top of them? No. We bury them fully and cover them. When you are baptized into Christ, become a new creature. You have the forgiveness of sins. You can know, you, you need to know this. You're still going to sin. You're still going to mess up. You're still going to do things that God is not happy with. But he's now made you worthy to repent, to turn away from those sins. And ask him for forgiveness and know that he will forgive you. It's wonderful being a Christian. Because we have that promise. We have that understanding. If you're not one, if you have not put on Christ, I'm not sure what you're waiting on. And I'm not trying to scare you for anything. But there's heaven and there's hell. I don't want to be in hell. God wants no one to be in hell. But he allows us to make our own decisions. Those of us that are Christians, if we have not truly been worshiping God the way we need to, change today repent of your sins ask God to to forgive you and he will we need to worship and serve him only Matthew 4:10 tells us let's truly do our best to worship God in the way that he would have us to and if we need if you need to come to Christ Please let it be known as we stand and sing the invitation on him.
I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, barely sinking, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry, from the waters lifted me, now safe am I. Love lifted me, love lifted me. And nothing else could help. Love lifted me. Love lifted me. Love lifted me. When nothing else could help. Love lifted.